Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi friends and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Lost Podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at TicketIQ.com. Do you like saving money? Do you like going to Dodger games? Well, guess what? Both of those things are able to be accomplished with our good friends at TicketIQ.com. For being a loyal listener to this here podcast, if you go to the Dodgers Beat website, which is www.dodgersbeat.com, click on the link tree, you're going to see a little section there for Ticket IQ. Click on that. It's going to take you to their website. And maybe you want to go to that Astro Series this weekend. Or this week, I'm sorry. Well, go look at those tickets. Pick wherever you want to sit at the beautiful ravine. Add it to your cart. And for being a loyal listener to this here podcast, they're going to save you some money. Huge thanks to TicketIQ.com for the consideration. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. TicketIQ.com. Thank you guys for the support. And our good friends at BleedLost.com. BleedLost.com is a fan apparel website that uh, has all the merch that you can think of. The Joe Kelly Loteria shirt, they got that joint. Joe Kelly Fight Club shirt, maybe you want to rock that at the Ravine this week. If you go to BleedLost.com and use the promo code BleedLostPod, you will save 10% on your purchase. Just add whatever you want to the cart. Use that promo code, and again, it's Bleed Lost Pod, and you will save 10%. So huge thanks to BleedLost.com for the support. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details, BleedLost.com. And last but not least, our good friends at Foco.com. Foco.com have been riding with us since the beginning. We appreciate the support. But for each and every one of you that are a loyal listener to this here podcast, if you want to go ahead and pick up all the things fandom from Foco.com, including the straw hat that we are giving away via our Instagram, if you go to the website, Foco.com, and if you use our promo code DodgersBeat10, you will save 10% on your purchase. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. But huge thanks to Foco.com for the support. Check out all the stuff. You want sandals, straw hats, shirts, all that jazz, foco.com. Check it out. Again, huge thanks to them. Promo code is DodgersBeat10. So this week, we are uh, we, we are joined by Andy Martino of SNY. He, uh, he wrote a book called Cheated, the Inside Story of the Astro Scandal and a Colorful History of Science Stealing. It's a great book. I, I, uh, I read it in preparation for our interview. And it, it, it definitely takes a deep dive into what the Astros did, but also it kind of gives you an idea of how we got to that point and where we are now. And it's it's a really good book. It's actually not a crazy heavy read. If, if you've been meaning to pick up a book to read, especially about baseball, would highly recommend Cheated, the inside story of the Astros scandal and a colorful history of sign stealing. Again, Andy... Is a is a major league baseball contributor. Uh, he's a staff writer. You know, he, he was a staff writer at the Philadelphia Inquirer, New York Daily News, and he's currently uh, an analyst and a reporter for MLB for the SNY Network in New York for the Mets. But I mean, he, he, this book is 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 a great book. We have a great conversation with him, uh, kind of you know breaking down the book a little bit. And uh, and listen, again, if you haven't picked it up, check it out. 
get it on audiobook, throw it on the earbuds, whatever. But however you listen to it, listen to it, and then check out this interview with Andy Martino. Here we go. Hey fans, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week in the Carnasada, we are joined by Andy Martino. And if you don't know who Andy Martino is, he wrote the book Cheated, the inside story of the Astro scandal and a colorful history of sign stealing. It's a really good book. It's a page turner. And Andy, before we dive into it, thank you so much for making the time to join us this week. My pleasure, guys. I love talking about this stuff. I mean, as you know, it's a fascinating topic. So thanks for having me on to do it. Yeah. And ironically, we are a, a, a biased party in the sense that we are a Dodgers podcast and the Dodgers make a cameo. So it works out great. So, uh, so let's just get into it. Uh, you, like I was telling you before we came on, you did a fantastic job of laying it out from start to finish. You know, you, you kind of get into the weeds and you, you, you break down the thing in, in a way that I, we truly haven't heard break down. I'm kind of curious, how long did you work on this book for? Well, thank you, first of all, for the compliment. I would say uh, the timing of it, there's a lot of, there's different ways I could answer that. And the way I kind of emptied the tank of like, things I'd learned about the game covering it for more than a decade that, you know, before this scandal, like all kinds of things about dynamics of managers and front offices and clubhouses and steroids in the game and all this stuff. So in like one sense, years and years and years, but in the way that you're asking, um, I started really focusing in on the Astros story in October of 2019, because I reported when the, Astros and the Yankees are playing in the ALCS that the Yankees were upset about some sign stealing allegations ad, which some of which turned out to be true, some of which didn't. Um, so I was reporting on that as just a person covering in my day job that series. Uh, and that got me interested. And then over the course of the MLB investigation, after the athletic story came out about the Astros, I was covering it, covering it, covering it, trying to break news on it and write stories about it. The week that the three managers were fired, AJ Hinch, Carlos Beltran, and Alex Cora. Um, that's when I said, I want to go full in on this and turn it into a book. And so I started working on a book proposal for that. Uh, the book proposal found a home at Doubleday, thank God, on, uh, in March. And I'll never forget exactly when it became official that it was a project I was going to do because it was the day that Tom Hanks got COVID and the whole thing changed. So like I, the, the, um, the fact is I had a tremendous advantage of um, I, it was a much shorter time to, that it was required because I was writing it. Well, like we were all in quarantine for the next couple of months. So it took me like March, April, May, June, probably finished the first draft. The reporting was going on with the writing. Like it was all simultaneous and um, it would have taken me a lot longer if it weren't for the pandemic. So that's basically the timeline. Hey, Andy, uh, it's Juan. So the the initial reaction after I finished the book was it seems like this has been going on since baseball started playing. Yeah. That story that you started the book out with the Pierce Childs 
to me sounds exactly what like the Astros did. Yeah. But it was a hundred years ago. That's with right. Opera glasses. And I still don't know how they put wires underneath the ground to vibrate under the third base couch. So it just made it seem to me it's like, well, cheating is part of the game. I mean, this has been going on for as long as it is. Is the fact that the Astros did it with the advanced technology that they did, is that the only difference? Because you really do a good job of going into the history of sign stealing mm-hmm. in this book. Uh, yeah, well, so that was the defense of the Astros, probably from their fans and some of their players. And people were like, come on, this has always been going on. So that I really had to be fair to the Astros and look into that and really dig into, like, was this – an anomaly or were they just one of a million and they happen to have gotten caught and what's the difference? And I found a real through line of number one, there's a quote in the introduction of the book from Ty Cobb, which is more than hundred years old, where he says, it's very simple. And, and you know, with unwritten rules in baseball, they can be kind of like a little bit vague. This one actually isn't. It's like, if you can get the signs with your eyes on the field of play, that's cool. It's on the pitcher and catcher to protect your signs. If you're using anything external, you know, he meant like binoculars or opera glasses, but the same thing could be applied to a high-speed camera in 2017, and that's wrong. That's cheating. Uh, so that's always been the line. I think most baseball people feel that way. So the fact that it was done in 1900 by the Phillies, the fact that it was done really famously to the Dodgers in 1951, also almost the same thing that the Astros did. Ralph Brank, it gives up the shot heard around the world and a stolen sign. I, w- I discovered, yes, it's been going on forever. But when it happens, it's always treated as a really big baseball crime, a big deal. Ralph Branca, the last 60 years of his life were impacted by this. He was bitter and upset. By all accounts, this wonderful man, one of the unsung heroes. Everybody knows about Pee Wee Reese welcoming Jackie Robinson in. But Branca was the guy, too, who really, he, there, there was a petition in the clubhouse in 47, like, we can't let, we're not going to play with this guy, and Branca was like, come on, he's going to help us win the pennant. Come on, guy. Branca ended up a pall a bearer at uh, Jackie Robinson's funeral. So there are all these great things about the guy, but until the day he died, he was upset that he was a victim of stolen signs. When this guy on the Phillies in 1900, his name was Pierce Childs, did it, he was, there was a huge investigation. The owners' meetings of 1900 were consumed by talk of a science ceiling scandal. So my point is that, like, yes, it's been going on. Yes, it's always been a serious issue when it's happened. By the way, that quote from Ralph Branca in your book, the a guy commits a murder and he gets pardoned after 20 years. I never yeah. got pardoned. I think clearly defines what you just described right now, that poor Branca never got to live it down because everyone blamed him for giving up that home run. That's right. And he was in a complicated situation later in his life where he was touring around doing the banquet circuit with Bobby Thompson and relying on that for some extra income. Uh, So he kind of had to play along, but it wasn't it was a very difficult thing for him to be identified with a failure that he knew was the result of cheating. And speaking of complicated situations, you, you highlight a couple things in the book without giving too much detail, but they're kind of already known through reporting about how the Yankees and the Dodgers were both accused of cheating during that time to the point that, you know, the, the, the opposing teams, one being the Mets and uh, the other, uh, or, or rather the, the Yankees and the Astros accusing uh, uh, rather the Yankees accusing the Astros, Jesus, I'm losing my train of thought. Sorry. Anyway, uh, the unwritten rules, as you said, you know, you and I worked in baseball, 
or you currently work in the game. I don't anymore. That's one of those things where if you broach certain topics, it's going to raise some hell. Right. And that's one of those things that's going to raise some hell. Uh, the other complicated thing is the Mike fires and the, uh, the addition of, uh, of Jimmy O'Brien, John boy, you know, yeah. where they, they kind of were able to highlight, you know, from the inside out, if you will, because John boy at the time was just trying to, to, to just break stuff down kind of like we do to a certain degree and just, just, you know, talk baseball. I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, this is kind of a two-parter from what you gathered, how upset were those teams that were accused of cheating at the, at that time where there really wasn't any cheating on one side, but with the Astros, yeah. they knew they were got, uh, how, how upset were they with that stuff kind of coming out as far as those delegations go with like the formal complaints, if you will. And mm-hmm. then, uh, and talk about the, the Mike fires component before we get to Jimmy, because th- that dude is still for me, a, a super interesting kind of caveat on all of this, because he was telling anyone and anyone that would listen with his teams, but he wouldn't tell anyone really outside of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to your first question, you're, I, you're asking, were the teams that were complaining upset through, through that time? Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much. In fact, there was a group of teams. I see the Yankees, the Rays, the Indians, the Mariners, the Dodgers certainly to an extent had their complaints. The, uh, the A's that would get frustrated with the commissioner's office on this topic because they would complain constantly in 17, 2017, 2018, 2019, it'd be some kind of investigation. It wouldn't lead anywhere. And there was a mounting frustration about the Yankee, or excuse me, about the Astros from the Yankees and these other clubs. And look, these other clubs, there was one GM said to me, like, look, we were all in areas of gray, shades of gray. The Astros are black and white. They were clearly cheating. But there were investigations into other clubs, too, of course, the Dodgers, the Brewers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Um, but there was definitely a sense of anger about the Astros and the fact that they were taking it too far uh, during that time. And as far as fires, he clearly believed that. Like he hasn't said anything about this publicly since he spoke to the athletics. So his motivation for doing that remains a little bit of a mystery. And you're right. He is a very fascinating character in this. I hope he speaks greater length at some point. He, 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 you've read my book. He's not further quoted in there. He, he's shut it down on the topic. And I wonder how he does feel about it or if he knew that it would be as big of a deal. He wasn't the only Astro that was offended by this thing, but he was the one that blew it open to the media. That's for sure. And, and as far as blowing it open, I, I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear your take. Cause, cause Juan and I talked about this a little bit. If Jimmy O'Brien doesn't do what he does, do you think that it kind of takes off the way that it does to the, the, the average fan? And the reason that I nope. lay it out that way, is because, you know, again, we understand the dichotomy of the unwritten rules in baseball, but not everyone does, right? Especially in this kind of era. So th- that's why I'm, I'm super fascinated by the Jimmy O'Brien component to it, because I mean, good for him for everything that, you know, kind of it's amounted to now. But at the time, there the, no one really understood because it was just kind of all behind closed doors, if you will. That's a great point. And I really agree. Like the Jimmy's impact on this was huge because it made it concrete. It, when you when you can see it, I, that video, when he put it out, uh, the video of the guys getting the bang on the change up and hitting bombs, you know, like yawn, like the Bugs Bunny thing, you know, it's like that was being texted around baseball, not just media, but GMs, team presidents. I remember at that time, just I was sending that video to some people in those kinds of positions to see what they thought about it. And like rage was coming back like. 
real, real anger at the Astros and what they did. Not like closing the circle around Jeff Lunau and one of their fellow GMs, but like, you know, F these guys, like hope they get banned. Like that was the feeling. And that was because of the video. The other thing I'd say, and this is not Jimmy's fault at all. He did a great job. Uh, but the fact that that was the video that surfaced did limit in the public's imagination what the Astros did. And it, in a backhanded way, gave, and again, this is not Jimmy. He found something great, but that became the, the garbage can became the concrete thing in people's minds. And it gave Astros players like Carlos Correa a little bit of an out to say like, no, 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 that was a 2017 thing. When there were so many allegations in 2018 and 19, and there's just not video of them. So it does. And I tried to do this in the book was to really just write about this as a three year story rather than a one year story. But the video makes it a trash can story. And uh, it's, it's more than that. The video is amazing. But that's one impact of it, I think. Hey, uh, Andy, one of the things that I really like, this is not just reporting. This is not just reading an article about this is how they did it. What you do in this book, and I'm really fascinated, it almost feels like a character study. And it's a character study of multiple characters. I love how you set up the history of A.J. Hinch, the history of Beltran, the history of Jeff Now, Because it, it kind of, throughout the book, I feel like you're just asking, like, this is an ethical question. These are people that had, with the exception, I think, of Lou now. I think Lou now, I think, was just garbage, to tell you the truth, being associated. Well, maybe his association with McKinsey and company with the fact that this is a company that's been linked to Enron and to the Trump administration and what they did to immigrants. Right. But A.J. Hinch was a guy who I feel like you paint a picture of he just being really insecure and yeah. that he felt really uncomfortable with the whole situation. But it was he couldn't get himself to stop them from doing this. Yeah. Do you think he just wanted these people to like them? He so desperately wanted to be successful that he just checked his morals. That was part of it. Yeah. And I think in his own darkest moments of trying to audit what happened, he, he probably has thought the same thing of himself. But by his own definition of leadership, he failed. He didn't stop something that he thought was wrong. And uh a lot of that certainly came from the failure in Arizona, where you had a veteran mutiny when he was an inexperienced manager. Getting to Houston, he goes from being seen as a failure to being seen as one of the great young managers in the game. Teams clearly championship caliber through the 2017 season, and he didn't want to disrupt anything. And perhaps a Carlos Beltran or an Alex Cora were just able to kind of take take this over themselves, and the manager wasn't what didn't have the gravitas in that instance to to stop what he says he, he believed was wrong so yes I, I think it's exactly as you described it and that's a failure that he's going to have to live with the rest of his life he's been given an opportunity to write a new story for himself now that he's the manager of the tigers but um it'll be tough to do something in detroit that knocks this off the you know, the first page, we always think about what's the first graph in our whole bit, I guess. And that's, unfortunately for AJ, something that'll define him to a great extent. And, and I just want to follow up with you because it seems we know Hinch got the job with the Tigers. Cora got the job right back with the Red Sox again, which I feel like something underhanded happened there. Just sit it out for a year and you'll have your job back. But 
I feel as as frustrating and angry as a Dodger fan it is, is reading this book. I think you almost make Carlos Beltran really sympathetic in this book, where why hasn't Beltran gotten a second chance? And as it turns out, Beltran is the only player from that 2017 Astros team to receive any type of punishment. Yeah. Did, did Beltran get a sh- the short end of the stick here? Did Is he the one that's be- going to take the majority of the blame for this? Well, yeah, you're right. And, and it's funny because, not funny, but it's easy to forget that he didn't actually get a formal punishment. He got a de facto punishment by having him being named in the report. There's a line in the report that changed his life. A group of players, comma, including Carlos Beltran, comma, et cetera, et cetera, participated in this scheme. Didn't say Alex Bregman. Didn't say George Springer. Uh, and Beltran was, there's, this is a, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of speculation from people who care about him as to why this happened. The darkest end of that speculation comes from he's always been a guy that was uh, unafraid to stand up for player rights. You think MLB likes that they teams have to pay for a, a Spanish language translator? Uh, Beltran did that. They, they don't want another salaried position. And Beltran fought for that. Um, they, there are a few companies or corporations that want somebody like a, a headstrong employee like that to agitate for the labor force. And that is something that's gone on with Beltran and his persona probably gave him less rope with the league. As someone who was not a current player during the investigation, he did not have legal representation from the Players Association either. Whereas they, when, whether it's Jake Marisnik or Carlos Correa or anyone, when they went in to be interviewed, they had legal counsel from the union. Beltran didn't have that protection. Uh, so there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people who care about him that feel like, hey, the, why didn't the union have his back? He really didn't have the league or the union on his side there. And that was tough to his, like, if you're going to look for a place where he could have done something differently, I would say that Alex Cora probably did a better job with the investigators and with his own team that ultimately brought him back of kind of owning up to it. Like, yeah, all right. It is what it is. Won't happen again. Wish it was wrong. Or Beltran was more like, come on. Everyone does this. What is the big deal? And he couldn't really get out of that. So instead of being that guy who goes into his sentencing hearing and is like, pretends, I'm really sorry. You know, he never felt the remorse to that extent, I don't think. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't have. I'm just saying that that's a factor. Uh, and finally, just because it's a results-oriented business, Hinch and Cora were proven championship managers. Beltran was not, obviously. It was a risky, controversial-ish hire for the Mets in the first place as a manager because he had no experience. The Yankees interviewed Beltran to manage a few years prior and really didn't feel like he was ready. Like he wasn't, he had an ace the interview. It wasn't like, it was like, yeah, this guy would be a good special assistant, but he's not a manager right now. Don't know if he will be. Mets hired him. So it's not like he was a hot managerial candidate and he hasn't had the chance to demonstrate the success. So it's all those factors why he is where he is. Andy Martino, author, SNY reporter, New York Mets insider, but author of Cheated, the inside story of the Houston Astros scandal and a colorful history of sign stealing joining us. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to ask this because we, 
we uh, we we uh, we are not a podcast that is akin to uh, to one Robert Manfred. <laughs> we uh, we we will probably never have him on this podcast. But I, I uh, you beautifully just laid out the kind of underlying issue as to why, and I agree with you, why Beltran is singled out in that line that and, and quote approximately two months into the 2017 season, a group of players, including Carlos Beltran discussed that the team could improve on decoding opposing team signs and communicating the signs to the batter. That line right there to your point has changed everything as far as his yeah. life post playing. Right. Yeah. Fred Manfred is also a fascinating character in all of this because obviously, you know, that I'm, I, I mean, this even backtracks all the way to Bud Selig. I'm not a fan of the league implementing a manager that was an owner. Right. And then that manager, I mean, sorry, that commissioner then implements mm-hmm. his, his right-hand man that was the CEO that, you know, to a certain degree was kind of like a, uh, I, I allude to it almost as like a corporate attorney to a certain degree that, yeah. uh, that handles things a certain way. Right. He, he's kind of a, by the book guy to this certain degree. I, the part of the, the, that's fascinating to me is how he went about everything from when they kind of made the Astros aware of the investigation to, to the finality, when they dropped the report in 2019, I'm kind of curious to hear your take on it as far as from the commissioners and on, on his kind of role in all of this. And if he miss maybe mishandled it or if he could have done anything better, or even if maybe they, th- he did handle it correctly, because ultimately he gave immunity to a bunch of guys and, and here we are. Yeah. It's there's so many different twists and turns of this that I think he handled some parts of it well and some parts of it less well. Like for example, I, I'm, I don't see an issue not punishing the players. I, I, and I understand Manfred's frustration with um, when players came out later and said that the Astros players should have been punished. Like when opponents said this, Manfred had to be thinking it's your union that would never allow that to happen. Could you tell Tony Clark that you want them punished? I get that. So that, that to me, that's the way that the discipline and investigative process is set up where if you were going to get them to talk without subpoena power, you had to, give them immunity. Now, maybe that's something that should be addressed, but that's the reality, collectively bargained reality they were dealing with at that time. Uh, so that is, that's that. Uh, in terms of handling the investigations through the years, look, they were ju- there are teams that wish that Manfred was more aggressive and that the Department of Investigations was more aggressive on the Astros. They were, Major League Baseball is a corporation that didn't want to create its own scandal. They were tightening up the rules in 2018 and 2019. You know, the no more live feeds in the clubhouse, eight second delay. Um, They were putting monitors, like people monitors, not TV monitors into the replay rooms. So like, and they got more strict. Like one replay guy for a team told me that he went on to Slack to like message something to a coworker. And he got written up for MLB. Like, and it was like, you can't go on Slack during games because of the new sign stealing. This is all before the Mike Fires thing. So Manfred's strategy was let's tighten this up and hope that whatever's happened in the past doesn't get out. He lost that gamble. But I I'm a little bit sympathetic to why you don't want to, what are you gonna do? Announce, you know, that you had this problem internally. It just didn't work, and, and, and it was never going to work because there was always going to be a Mike Fires. Too many people knew about it, um, but that was the intention. They were trying to make it harder to do, and then this blew up into a big scandal. Um, is it for me to say that he should have been more aggressive? I would, I would leave that to 
clubs I mentioned before, the Rays, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Indians, the Mariners, the, uh, the A's, like they would probably candidly say that they wish this had been policed more aggressively. So, Is it fair to say that, uh, that Beltran was kind of scapegoated in all of this as well, just kind of with how everything went down? And, and like you said, you know, he's a guy that's known for standing up for players' rights, et cetera. And he was in the middle of that when kind of all this went down, you know, obviously the stuff happened that happened after, but, you know, kind of during that, the, in the current moment, do you think yeah. it'd be fair to say he was scapegoated? Well, I think we do have to remember that he did do all the things that he was accused of. Uh, so the scapegoating concept probably only goes so far because he's, because he's guilty, but that said, yeah. in in some ways, part of that was, you know, there was reporting, like sourced reporting coming out about how he was the words, like he was the godfather of it. And uh, he was like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to mess with Carlos Beltran if you didn't want to steal signs. And that stuff was exaggerated. And there's a lot of thought of that. There was a lot of like people, it was easier on some people who might still be in Houston to, to just point every, point everyone Beltran's way. Uh, whether it was specific players or their agents or whatever, you know, if I didn't say it in the book, I probably shouldn't say it out loud, but yes, Fair. there was some, there was some scapego- scapegoating of Beltron going around that got a little bit strong for sure. But again, um, he could have made it easier on himself by, well, by not cheating and, and um, by uh, maybe being as quick as Alex Cora to go to understand why it, in retrospect, it was wrong. And the reason I say that as well, there's a line that sticks out to me uh, when they're kind of going through all the stuff with uh, with, you know, when the, the fall happens, if you will, where he says, hey, you guys never told me that that was illegal when, mm-hmm. you know, when they're, they're mm-hmm. talking about all that. So I don't Great know if point. that was plausible deniability or if that was, you know, to a certain degree, legitimate denial deniability, because, it, you know, we started out the podcast by saying everyone does something to this effect. Right. You, you do a great job of pointing out that dudes look for certain things that, you know, Hey, he's flaring his glove this big for a changeup. He's flaring this glove, this big for a fork ball, stuff like that. So that that's the reason that I bring that up because then you bring up the other parts of, of what the Astros did aside from the trash cans, whistling, yelling, and then we'll get into it here in a minute. The, the electric communication, supposedly that that may have happened. So it's, it, it, but to one's point a minute ago, you do a, a fantastic job of, of laying out that timeline, but I do feel bad for Carlos Beltran to a certain degree, because like you said, he shouldn't have cheated. Oh, I do too. Yeah. You shouldn't have cheated, but this is where we are. No, I, I agree with you. And I'm glad you reminded me of that, uh, that part in the book where Beltran's thinking like, well, you didn't communicate this to me because that's literally on September 15th, 2017, the memo comes down from the commissioner's office as it related to the Red Sox Apple watch punishment. And it was like, big line in the sand from now on in this memo manfred says you know electronic science ceiling will be harshly punished we understand that this has been gamesmanship for a long time but from now on this day forward it's a bigger deal and the astros front office gets this memo and carlos beltran has no way of knowing that it just changed so he'd already crossed a line that a lot of people consider in the game consider unethical um but he did not know that it was that it wasn't like that memo was then brought down to the clubhouse. And that, that is a, a, another key point. 
You know, Andy, it's I, you brought up a point that I feel doesn't get enough attention and probably should be talked more about. And that's the role of the players union here. I, I mean, you'd mentioned, you know, Beltran didn't have, uh, you know, representation and maybe that's why he took the fall. But on top of this, we also have the, the issue with the sticky tack. And then we also have a lot of off the field issues lately in baseball with domestic violence happening here. Should we be a little, should the players themselves hold their union accountable and be like, Hey, you know, like you said, if Manfred really wanted to drop the ball on them, I mean, there is in your book, you mentioned he did actually think of vacating the, 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 the title. So is it, was it the pressure from the players union that prevented him from doing that? And what's it going to take for the players union themselves to have a little bit of accountability here to be like, you know what? We messed up. This is bad. We need to hold our members accountable also. Yeah, good questions. The union right now is so dug in on economic issues relating to the next CBA that I don't know how much of that kind of reflection is going on right now. Uh, it's more uh, us versus them, you know, union versus owners. And, and it's that's a whole other conversation, obviously, but that's kind of ugly right now. So for Manfred to get a different investigative process or punishments for these kind of things. And the next CBA would be like a bargaining chip to give back something else. That's probably more how the union thinks about it. Now, having said that, they certainly heard from some of their membership that disastrous things should have gone down differently. It's a tough gig that Tony Clark has in the sense that it's an unbelievably diverse membership in that union. I mean, in so many ways, it might be, I'm saying this off the cuff. I don't have numbers to back this up. It might be the most politically conservative union membership in in the country, but also not entirely. You have people in it from all over the world. I mean, different, like imagine trying to get that group to agree on any one thing, not to mention tremendous economic disparity between the haves and the have nots. You know, obviously a guy with a couple of years is pre-arbitration guy making the minimum is playing, you know, not at all set for life playing with, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., who good for him is, you know, that's like a lot of ranges. Imagine being in the same union with a guy who makes $340 million when you make a fraction of that. So that's a long way of just saying, you got to corral these guys around, if you're Clark, around some big issues and that's hard enough. So, but yeah, that there have been times when they've dropped the ball, like the union was way too slow on the steroid issue to understand that a lot of their members had a problem with steroids. They were so wrapped up in um, privacy issues that were in many ways legitimate about like workplace drug testing and things like that, that they were slow to realize that some players wanted the game cleaned up. So it, it, it does, it's difficult sometimes for them to do the right thing. So do you know why Manfred didn't vacate the title? Was it the, the pressure from the players union? That no, not so much. That was more of like a, a precedent issue. I got it. And that's another one I think I agree with him on because okay, well, we know that A-Rod was using PEDs in 2009. So does that mean that the you the Yankees vacate in 09? It's like, where do you stop? The Cincinnati Reds vacate because the Black Sox threw the World Series in 1919 against them. Um how about the Dodgers pennant when Manny was like juiced out of his gourd? Like, I'd say, like, where do you stop? So that's, as a lawyer, that's probably what he's, he's probably very concerned about precedent on that one. 
And I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this. So obviously we know what happened with Lunhow and we know what happened with Hinch, right? There's another guy in there that, that you, you touch on as well. Uh, he was a clubhouse employee by the name of Brandon Tobin, uh, Tobin, yeah. I'm sorry. A front office employee. Yeah. It's a front office. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, front yeah, office yeah, guy. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, obviously he was hit up or caught up with the conduct for, for the clubhouse. Yeah, and, right. and, and the reason that, uh, that I bring him up is in, you know, obviously, you know, nothing, nothing really happened to, to the cranes because they were kind of, uh, shall we say, uh, um, absolved of any kind of wrongdoing, but with his role, how, how, how big of, of, of a, of a shot is it to see a guy like him be disciplined for what he, for what he was accused of doing and what he's ended up being, you know, found culpable of. And do you think that sets precedent moving forward for front office guys as well? Yes, definitely. That's a great, great point. And I think that applies to the sticky stuff issue too, in that it once was to a GM's advantage to have his players cheat, his or her players cheat uh, with sign stealing, for example, like, sure, we're going to win more. Just, I I don't want to know, but absolutely go for it. Now, if you're, I'm just going to pick a couple of random people in my market and yours, not, not accusing anybody of anything. If you're Andrew Friedman or Brian Cashman, you're going to want to be like, if that's going on, cut it out. Cause I don't want to get suspended. I don't want my career taken down by something you guys do in the clubhouse. So that's completely flipped. And what I mean, like with this, with the sticky stuff issue, the fact that organizations could be punished for that too, uh, is going to mean like, these guys are all survivors. They're very, very, very self-interested political creatures. If you've made it to MLB GM, man, you know how to survive an office politics situation, you know, like it's cutthroat. So now it's like, oh, the calculation is before I want my pitcher spin rate up. Now it's stop using that stuff because I don't want to get in trouble. And, and all fair points, because at the end of the day that, you know, if you're going to live by the sword, you got to die by the sword because you're going to get caught up one way or another. I'm, I'm curious to hear your take too. Do you think that they were actually using buzzers? Because I'm, I'm still convinced that they were, but there's just really not a way to prove it, if that makes sense. Because the, the Altuve thing, the, the shirt thing, I still call it bullshit on that just because they're there. You know, you know this, you know, you've worked in, in the game long enough. When you celebrate a, you know, a walk off win, you, you, it doesn't matter. You, you pour drinks, you rip stuff off. That's just the clubhouse culture. And that's still something that's kind of stuck out to me to this day that, uh, you know, like you said, you know, John Boy didn't necessarily, you know, he did some breakdowns, but he didn't break it down for the average person to understand, but I'm still convinced that may have happened. Am I wrong in thinking that? Well, I'll tell you this, you, you could get a job in the Yankee organization if you say that in the interview, because they're convinced too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're not alone. The way I answer this question is there's no evidence whatsoever to support that Altuve was wearing a buzzer. And the reason I say it like that is because to prove a negative is, is difficult. Like to say something did not happen is obviously a lot harder to prove that it did. Um, So I look at evidence and I look at the fact that not that this necessarily rules it out, but not only has nothing been spot. I know what you're saying about ripping the shirt off. It's definitely weird, but there's no, um, and there's actually a longer video that uh, Harold Reynolds showed on MLB network. Not long after like an uncut version of video that showed him kind of walking around disprove the idea that he dashed down the tunnel changed into t-shirt and came back up he was walking around in that jersey for a long time celebrating before he went down to do that there's no image or picture of a buzzer um 
when MLB was interviewing players from the Astros, they all admitted to the, to a man, they all admitted to the trash can thing and to some other things like the code breaking and everything. Um, and players were like, when we were asked about buzzers, we were like, huh, what? And I, I found that plausible the way that that, that was told to me personally. Um, and also there's the fact that Altuve didn't want the signs. He was a guy that didn't, and I'm not saying that was an ethical choice. It was, there's players, I used to cover David Wright for years. He got the sign once when he was young and it was wrong. And he took an embarrassing swing and he's like, never again. I just want to see the ball and hit the ball. Altuve was one of those guys. So I, I don't, it's suspicious to me that he's the guy in that rumor. Uh, so look, you never rule out that I, I was going to say, you never rule out a deathbed confession. An example of that would be we, Bobby Thompson went to his grave denying that he had Ralph Frank signed, but one of the coaches on the giants in like 2009 finally told a writer when he was in his eighties or nineties weeks from death. Okay. I gave him the sign. So you know, check back in with me when Altuve is 89 years old and maybe <laughs> it'll be a little more open, but I, I just, no evidence is what I stick with. I didn't say no. Like I wrote the book. I'd hate, I don't, I'm, I don't want it to be invalidated by a revelation t- in 10 years about this, but I, I just gonna say I dug into it and, and didn't find anything. And I found plenty of other things. Well, and to your point of deathbed confessions, A-Rod went on that press tour and said, I didn't juice, I didn't juice, I didn't juice. And then fast forward a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So no, they'll lie. Like, yeah. you know, as athletes will lie, anyone will lie for their, for their, most people will lie for their own self-protection. So it's not Altuve's word that means that much to me. No offense to him. It's more the evidence gathering that I tried to do around it. No, and that's fair. And uh, Annie Martino here joining us. Uh, my buddy Juan has a question for you. Hey, Andy, uh, one of the other issues from the 2017 World Series that I don't think is talked about enough, and you bring it up in your book, is the muddying of the balls. And it seems that the, uh, the Astros pitchers were pitching with a different texture on their ball than their opponents uh, yes. were, were pitching with. So, again, now that's getting back into the whole sticky situation with the spider tag again we're the same questions being asked this has been going on for for so long is it cheating i mean the astros were also using that uh, edgertronic uh system i mean when verlander came over he was struggling and then all of a sudden he turned into a different pitcher could you sit there and just make the argument that that's something like home field advantage related? Is that just something, Hey, everyone else had access to the same information. The Astros just did it better. Yes, you could certainly. Well, you could make that case. I don't think that mudding up a baseball or putting stuff on a baseball is it rises to the level of baseball crime. And some of these other things we're talking about. Um, it's more of a gray area, but it is something that's technically against the rules now is being newly enforced. In 2017, the specific issue, um, which I only found out when someone from the Dodgers organization told me this in the reporting of the book, was that a Dodgers pitcher had picked up a ball that the Astros were using and be like, this ball's darker. And whether that creates an advantage or not, I asked a physicist, and he was like, eh, maybe it might put a drag on the exit velocity a little bit. It's certainly not as advantageous as taking steroids or stealing signs. Um, so, but it was somebody they tried to do and it was problematic enough where MLB created a poster because of that Dodgers complaint in 17 
that they would put in the umpire's rooms, which is where the balls are mudded up before the game to say, this is how the ball should look. This is too dark. Um, no, it's not as scandalous uh, as some other things. And I think that's why the sticky stuff scandal this summer didn't really take off in the public imagination in the same way as the science thing stuff did. I think people looked at it and were like, okay, I don't know, gray area. That, that's what it felt like to me is how most fans regarded it. So the, the thing is this, and as Dr. France, this is going to stick with us from that World Series. And I, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but if the Astros weren't cheating, could they have still have won that World Series? Or the, well, Because to me, it's that game five. That game five is the one that really sticks out because I think you can make an argument that if Darvish was tipping his pitches, then you just get you tip your hats or no pun intended to the mm-hmm. Astros and just be like, hey, you guys did it. But the Kershaw and in your book, you mentioned that's the game where they didn't swing at any of it as off speed or swing and miss at any of his off speed pitches. And after that game, and this is why I, I think your book does a good job. I just kept thinking of Kershaw and Ralph Branca. Where, you know, after that series, I was sitting there telling all my friends, I can't defend Kershaw anymore because he blew a four run lead and then he blew another three run lead. Right. You know, and it happens all the time. And in your book, you talk about it, too. Uh, The series against the Cardinals, when Carlos Beltran was on the Cardinals, was Kershaw tipping his pitches. And is that what's happening? He was in that game against the Cardinals. Yeah. In, in yeah. the postseason, right? So I guess my question is to you, could the Astros could have won that World Series fair and square? Well, I think they have the same complaint that the Yankees have about the ALCS that preceded it, is that uh, it was such a razor-thin margin that if some in the series that if someone's cheating, that feels like a difference. Now, the counter to that will be like, like, why, like with the Yankees, it's like, well, you didn't hit at home in that series. If you just actually swung the bat, you would have won the series. And with the Dodgers, there's plenty like if Kershaw had just not been Kershaw, postseason Kershaw, or if Darvish weren't tipping, or this, this, these are the things that Astros fans and players will probably, you know, insist for the rest of their lives. But again, you, you, there's no way to quantify exactly the advantage. And, it, but it wasn't a sweep. It wasn't, a, you know, it was so tight that sure, it's fair for the losers to think that that was a factor. One last one for me, Andy. I've brought this up a couple of times looking ahead and, you know, let's just preface that, you know, even MLB in that statement through Rob Manfred, when they dropped kind of their findings, they emphasize that it's important to understand that the attempt to decode signs being used by an opposing catcher is not a violation of any major league baseball rule or regulation. So I just want to preface that because those are two different things that we're discussing, right? Based on that, and based on what you said about Altuve, I still think that they're going to relitigate this if and when those guys are up for the ballot for the Hall of Fame. And I'm kind of curious to hear your take on if that relitigation does in fact occur, if you think it's going to end up being like a Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens thing where it's like, yeah, we think you did it, but we don't really have concrete proof per se, aside from this report. Because again, the only names that are really you know implicated are Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora yeah. and Jay Hinch. So, do you think that will be a hindrance of them assuming they are eligible to get into the Hall when that time comes years from now? Right. And if Alex Bregman has a Hall of Fame caliber career, for example, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, the Hall of Fame voters have done the bent over backwards in many ways to 
um, to discredit or to say that guys like Bonds, I know a lot of people that vote for Bonds, McGuire. Um, it's like, well, it wasn't proven. He was acquitted in court or Clemens. It's like, yeah, but have you read Game of Shadows? Like it's airtight. Right. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe you, that's a good question. Maybe there'll be a way to go, oh, well, there's no proof. Hall of Fame voters generally, I think, tend to be very pro-player. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I right. think if, you, if there's a way to defend a guy, they, they, they will. And I think that's actually more so in my generation in a way. Um, my generation of Hall of Fame voters, which who grew up in the steroid era, just don't want, really want to make that into a big deal right. in the voting. Uh, so I don't know. Beltron's going to be a much sooner case. And that's going to be a really interesting one. If, as far as the Astros players from that year, who are the Hall of Famers potentially from that team? I mean, you could Altuve. say Bregman's got enough time. Yeah. Um, Altuve potentially. I haven't thought of this yet. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and, one, and, and to counter, not to, to throw a wrench in there. Yeah, I was going to say Verlander is going to be the one that's probably going to be up, up soonest, right? I, I still don't even know how to, how to take the pitchers into account for it because, you know, they, they may obviously they knew what was going on, but they didn't participate, if you will. Um, yep. to a certain degree, but I still think it's kind of, you know, if you're the ethics police, you know, the, the karma police, you know, a good uh, shout out there to Radiohead, mm-hmm. um, how that affects their kind of consideration. Cause Granky, I think is a borderline hall of famer. Like he's, he's, he's close. Um, and then Verlander, if, if, if this stuff doesn't happen, I mean, he's a, he's a first ballot hall of famer, no question. Right now, you know, it kind of, it kind of throws a wrench in the logic in that if, well, is he, because now he's kind of a little tarnished to a certain degree in some people's eyes. Uh, yeah. I, I, good question. I bet you Verlander's sails through the voting without this being too much of a drag on him. Like it, it, as a pitcher, it's tough to keep a guy out of the hall of fame because you should have spoken up about something. Right. Um, that's probably not going to be enough to, to create it. There'll be some, discussion about it around that time but unless he's caught doing something on his own that enhanced his performance i i bet you this doesn't hurt him i think the hitters will be a more interesting uh, thing I, I don't know that correa is someone who's going to get himself on the hall of fame track at this point he's been on the league long enough obviously so um probably not springer uh no so i guess we really kind of i think bregman's like one of the most exciting young talented players who might have a very bright future so that I don't know if we're talking about Hall of Fame caliber, but that's that could be an interesting case one day. I don't know it'll come up that many times, though, other than well, Beltran. Well, and, there, and I was going to say, Beltran will probably be the first litmus test for that. I guess, well, this will be this. I, I faked you out, Juan. I'm sorry. This is actually my last question. Uh, it's okay, because the they're good ones. Keep <laughs> the, uh, to preface the last one, for free agency for some of these guys that's upcoming, do you think it will, in fact, affect their free agency? Didn't for Springer, did it at all? I mean, the baseball's frustratingly amoral that way in the sense that they can be deeply offended by this stuff, but then like, ah, oh, screw it. I want to sign this guy. That, that went on from steroids. The financial rewards for taking a short suspension for steroids and then getting another contract continue to make sense economically to, to do, do those drugs all the way into Melky Cabrera and, you know, beyond. Uh, so it's the same thing Springer was. I'm not saying Springer should he should be allowed to work just because he participated in this thing, but no, it didn't affect him. Uh, the Yankees are so upset about the 2019 Astros and who's their ace right now, Garrett Cole. So I just, the rage just stops at that point when it comes to pursuing players. 
what I was told from it, you know, it's, it is an amoral business, but I was told from a GM once and I kept this with me. I was like, do you actually care about steroids like personally one way or the other? And what he told me was, all I want to know is if whatever you were doing when I signed you, keep doing it while I'm paying you. Otherwise it's business fraud. So that's how they think of it. No, and, and, and interestingly enough, so Adrian Gonzalez, we had him on a while ago and, uh, and he, you know, he let us know too, Hey, everything is an out. And, and that's, you know, that's a part of it too, right? Cause you don't know all the ins and outs, et cetera, et cetera. But is this one of those things where you think the dichotomy of the game and the players with all this, how it went down that, uh, you know, more or less that what other teams try at it, if no one figures it out, if that makes sense, or is it one of those like now, because of the stance that MLB took, they're just going to be like, okay, like, let's tone it down a ditch. I think electronic sign ceiling is going to be off the board for, for a while. Um, like that, that's what you're asking is if, if they're going to. Yeah. Cause as you that. know, everything is yeah. cyclical, you know, there's dudes. That yeah, well, yeah. It'll come back around yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah. But I think that this generation of players, the rage that other players, see, my opinion doesn't matter to them. Uh, yours doesn't. But when Cody Bellinger or Aaron judge is standing up, speak against their fellow players, there was enough of a uh, reaction in the game where I don't think anyone, not to mention the fact that, as I said before, MLB did tighten this up, uh, making it harder to do. I think for those two reasons, this is not happening again anytime soon, but technology that hasn't been invented yet and players who didn't live this in 2040 will absolutely be trying to figure something out. Hey, Andy, uh, we wanted to have you on now because, uh, the Astros are coming to town next weekend and uh, the bleed Lows podcast will be there. We already saw how the Astros have been welcomed into these stadiums. And we've also heard a lot of the Astro players, Dusty Baker, the organization complain about the treatment that they have been receiving from the fans. Do you think the fans are, are being a little too harsh on, 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 the, on the Astros? Are, are, are we just taking this too far? And also, is, is the fans' reaction justified because in many people's eyes, Major League Baseball didn't go far enough in holding these, this team accountable? I do think that fans are trying to make up for the, what they feel is, is that the deficiency and the punishments in Major League Baseball to an extent. I think that the um, the way the fans are reacting uh, selfishly as a consumer of the game, it's pretty good theater. And it's nice to see people so passionate about the sport. Uh, you probably don't feel that way if you're being taunted. Uh, the FL Tuve chance at Yankee Stadium weren't necessarily fair because, as I said, Altuve was one of the few guys that didn't want the signs and he sort of become the face of it. So that's not that fair. But look, if the Dodgers... And their fans feel that they were cheated out of a championship, which is special. And you have one now, but at the time, too, it was like, is this ever going to happen again? Uh, I, I understand the anger. The other team cheated. You know, we, we just had a, on our previous episode, we had a conversation about booing your own players and, you know, whether we're supposed to do it. It just reminded me when Bonds would come to Dodger Stadium, they would throw syringes out into left field. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's throwing anything like this to the Astro players, but it just feels the fact that Dusty Baker has to be the one who wasn't even involved in this situation has to uh-huh. stand in front of a, microphones and be like, 
hey, you guys are taking this too far. It just feels like, hey, Dusty, this is not about you. This is about right. those guys over there who denied everything that happened. And then when it all came out, they had their tail in between their legs. Well, that's low hanging fruit for Dusty in terms of management strategy, right? Because now he's got their back. Uh, it's sort of his, it, that's his role in this whole thing. That's why they hired him to be a face of this that didn't, wasn't involved in this, knows how to stand up for players, is likable enough so he doesn't get it too too bad in public. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I haven't thought a ton about fan anger because my focus was so on just like, what are the facts of what happened? But watching it play out this year, certainly throw any anything that's physical is completely horrible whether the guy cheated or not throwing something at a player that could obviously that goes without saying booing and swearing i don't know you know it's it's, it's not so bad game. right i get booed and sworn at all day on twitter when i cover baseball so uh, i'm not saying it's the way people should act but it may be part of why they're making the big bucks hopefully this podcast will make it so you don't get booed and cuss that uh, <laughs> because because honestly you did a great i mean there's just no other way to put it you did a great fucking job and if you haven't, please buy the book Cheated, the inside story of the Astro scandal and a colorful history of sign stealing. Andy Martino, thank you for the time. We'll keep an eye out on that tweet for when the Dodgers acquire Max Scherzer from you. And, uh, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll just kind of go from there. But thanks happen. For the time. All right, guys, these are great. Great questions. Really had fun with us. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you. you Andy. Appreciate you, Andy. Yeah. And there you have it. Andy Martino. Joining us, obviously, Max Scherzer has been acquired by the Los Angeles Dodgers by the time you're listening to this, as well as Trey Turner. Andy didn't need to break that for us, so we're good on that front. Again, if you haven't read this book, and if you are a Dodgers fan, and you want to know what went down with that cheating scandal, check out Cheated, the inside story of the Astros scandal and a colorful history of sign-stealing. Andy Martino with the time. And ironically, wanted to point this out. You know, we talked about it a little bit off air with him, uh, but we didn't get a chance to dive into it. We didn't even get into the Red Sox. That's how good this book is. This book, and I'm not even trying to do a hype piece because we definitely don't do fluff pieces on this podcast, but Andy did a phenomenal job. And I am not just saying that just to say it. Andy did a hell of a job, and we can't thank him for the, enough for the time and and for for the deep dive in the book. But with that said, let's enjoy what happened after the trade deadline. If you watched our trade deadline special, huge thanks to you for joining us. And again, the Los Angeles Dodgers acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner for the uh, the turnaround package of Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray. Happy trails to both of those gentlemen. They did great work. And two other minor league prospects. Uh, They also acquired the Los Angeles Dodgers, that is, Danny Duffy as well. So, a great, uh, great trade deadline. Super stoked for kind of the uh, the second half, even though it's the unofficial start of the second half now that the deadline's over. But on that note, thank you for the support. Please review, subscribe, all that jazz to the Bleed Los podcast on our socials here on the wherever you're listening to this podcast. Huge thanks. We appreciate you. We'll catch you down the road. Stay safe and go Dodgers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.